As I understand, you've been doing a lot of work around advocating for more affordable, low-income housing in the central district so that people can come back to the neighborhood. Tell me about your work with that. Well, I got into it because of uh, the whole concept of gentrification, but it's more complex than that. I I mean, I got into housing because uh, in 1995, our church was burned to the ground. The first fire was called accidental. The second was arson. Uh, one was set, burned the whole church down. When we were rebuilding, another was set that sent smoke all the way through all of the ventilation systems. So people had to crawl through the ventilation systems to uh, clean out the smoke, which cost us over $200,000 to just get all the smoke cleaned out. I got into it because dealing with the fire in the church, before the fire in the church, we were trying to deal with the economic um, situations in the community, the businesses. We were trying to make sure businesses own their businesses and that we created a fund to help sustain businesses, a community fund to help sustain businesses. Right in the middle of that, uh, the church was pretty much blown up and with the first fire and then the second fire. So the church had to go in debt to try to replace the building because they had little or no insurance because insurance agencies were at that time not insuring buildings in the community for what they were really worth. They were insuring them for less than what they were really worth, which was the insurance problem at that time for inner city communities. So because of that, we had to rebuild at cost. We had to generate the money. It took us two and a half years to get a building permit and because they wouldn't give us a building permit. I guess they felt that we would leave. After about two and a half years, we got a building permit, and then, then we had to struggle to get the money to, to finish the building. But we finally got it finished. But when I looked around after it was finished, I realized that during the five years that we were struggling to do that, all of the things that we were trying to prevent had occurred. The community was completely gentrified. Businesses that we were trying to keep going were gone. And many of the citizens in the community were gone. And then the whole concept of homelessness, I looked around and we then began to look around and there were people just living on the street, people that used to have houses, people that used to uh, run businesses were homeless, living in their cars, and, and people living under bridges, and, and, and a lot of them were African-American people. Their parents owned houses and homes. Uh, but because of a lot of the policies of the city, those homes had been taken over. And then, of course, there's the, the whole concept of uh, property taxes, which runs Seattle and the state of Washington. They don't have a state tax. They have this regressive property tax stuff. And the property taxes in the central area had risen to a point where many of the people who were there were contemplating leaving. So because they couldn't continue to pay the exorbitant property taxes. So we were, so then once we came out of this, this period, when I probably, I had to pretty much abandon all of the things, struggles that we were into and when I came out of this, I realized that the next big struggle was housing. Next big struggle was trying to create places for these dislocated people, people uh, who basically uh, had been uh, moved out. So we started working with Lehigh to do uh, transitional housing. We worked with them to do the first tiny house village of Yesler. And we worked with them to create policies around low-income housing to help uh, get people off the street. So I'm, I'm presently still working with them 
destruction of our church, the people were in debt. So we had a piece of land that we wanted to build, we, that we built five townhouses on. And we built those townhouses not to, not to continue the process of gentrification, but we built them with the hope that the city would help us once we built them to use them as transitional housing for families that had been displaced. We kept negotiating with the city all while we were building them to help us turn these houses into places where we could bring people back into the community. And if they had done that, then we could continue this process of building housing and bringing people back in. But the city refused. They refused to help us. They refused to give us any kind of assistance with the townhouses. Even after we built them, they refused to help subsidize them so that we could get people back into the community. Um, and uh, therefore, in order, we could not sustain it because the money that we used to build them was not bank money because the banks wouldn't give us money to do anything like that. Redlining still exists. We had to do, use predator lending money in order to get that built. So we had to then sell them in order to pay off the, the lenders. Uh, we had some money left over to help with the church debt that uh, the church had uh, gotten into because of uh, the fire and our having to rebuild without assistance. The banks wouldn't give us assistance in that. We had to use other kinds of money, uh, predator lending money to even do that. And then after we get, got it built, the bank we found a bank that would take that out, uh, but uh, at a very high interest rate. So we were trying to pay off that debt. Housing, I think, right now is where, where we're trying to put the energy around, not just places, apartments, but people owning homes in the way that they used to own homes. I think the city has a responsibility to restore home ownership for people that have been driven out of the central area. And uh, I don't know what model they're going to use to do that, but we were trying to create a model for them, and they rejected it congregations are impacted, that perspective is really important as well, yeah. because your congregants are then being forced to move away. You're still in the Central District, as I understand. Yes, that, uh, right? we're still here. Do congregants come in from out of town now, a lot yes. of them? They commute from um, places like Brenton, Tukwila, even as far away as Tacoma. They commute, they come back in. Right now, because of the pandemic, we're, we're streaming and on Zoom, and, uh, which is uh, helpful for them because they don't have to commute. They can just come into the stream, and, uh, which is very helpful. We'll probably continue that as we move forward. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a thriving community at one point, and uh, the community was located in a very vital area in Seattle. It was located in close proximity to downtown. And, and many people wanted to come back in because they were commuting back downtown. And so I think the city developed a policy that uh, these people were expendable, that we could remove these people. It was a policy of removal. And it was done in, in many ways. It was done through weed and seed, putting drugs into the community, and then uh, taking homes and seizing businesses as a result of that. It was done through raising property taxes, knowing that many of the people were on fixed incomes and they couldn't afford the property tax because they were going to leave these homes to their children. And then it was done through basic violence. I mean, like destruction of churches and, and, and those kinds of things. I mean, it was just every method to 
disrupt and to remove people that uh, that could be used was used. And ultimately it ended up in the, uh, maybe uh, 80, 80% of the people from African-Americans from the central area. They compartmentalized uh, in different uh, pieces, but it's all ending up in one whole reality, the removal of people. All of it's controlled by the government. It's all controlled by the council. It's all controlled by the mayors because mayors and council, they're the ones who uh, ratify the laws. They're the ones who are instrumental in uh, choosing uh, directions of the police. They're the ones who are, are instrumental in, uh, in, the, in the tax increases. So it's all a part of uh, what uh, the government of Seattle does. I mean, if they wanted any of these realities to be modified, they could in fact modify them through laws, but they didn't choose to do that. They chose to let it run its course and then be, be able to point the blame in several different directions and, and then shake their heads and say, we're sorry, when in fact it was a concerted effort to uh, remove without any solution in place as to where, that, where those people would go, just to remove them and let them fend for themselves. Many are more elderly and many are more uh, unemployed. Many of them were, the, the property was all they had. As you've been doing this over the, as I understand, decades. Uh, we started an organization in 88 called the Black Holidays Task Force. And that organization was about uh, creating uh, economic uh, equity and parity for African-American people. And uh, we, we would uh, have economic rallies where we would encourage people to buy black and um, we mobilized the community to um, to vote on who was, who they felt was uh, uh, the enemy or the person who was doing the greatest harm for the economic uh, achievement of African Americans. We would give them the Bull Connor Award each year, and um, so we were doing uh, very aggressive uh, things to uh, try to uh, shake loose economic parity and economic justice. And I, I think that, that that's one of the reasons the church was, was bombed. We were also doing things like helping, marching with uh, gay and lesbians for their rights as well, because we felt that that was a part of the, the part of what it meant to be uh, doing personal time justice. Now. We lost most of our congregation. Um, either, like I said, many died, many left, many just became disillusioned and, you know, and, um, and did other things. Um, it was just a very sad time and, and a very difficult time, a time of struggle because we didn't get any help from anybody. Uh, we had to pretty much roll up our sleeves. The banks totally turned their backs on us. They wouldn't touch us. Uh, the city would not negotiate with us to get us a permit for at least two and a half years. And, and we were just languishing, struggling. Uh, we would have church in the YMCA we had to rent the Seventh-day Adventist church and we'd have church there. But, you know, the congregation was continually dwindling because people were losing hope and, 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 and faith. And um, actually, I was not that much aware of what was going on around me at that time in terms of the community as a whole because I was so focused on trying to uh, restore what these people had lost. It was only after that restoration that I began to look around and see the devastation that had come uh, during that time, during that interim time. And I was just 
was just sad to see that many of the people in the homes that people used to live in, they were gone. And, uh, and that, um, that gentrification had, had won primarily. The same, the thing that we were trying to stop had, had won. I'd like to have you talk about the successes that you've had. We were successful to create the transitional homes. We also built the five townhouses. We right now have a project in place to build 80 units of low-income housing. We've created a, a New Hope Development Institute that will run that housing uh, once it's created. Uh, and that's probably going to happen next year sometime. In the meantime, we've opened a 20-acre farm where we grow uh, organic vegetables and we bring that into the community. And we give away vegetables and we, uh, we're growing crops right now. And so we've done things like that. Uh, uh, and we've been doing that for 13 years. We built a church, which uh, was a struggle, but we rebuilt it. And um, we're now uh, rebuilding the Black Holidays and, and the Clean Greens Farm and Market um, as an entity. So those are, I think that, you know, we have some relative successes and we had some relative successes during the days uh, when we had the entrepreneurial training program. We, I think we trained, we trained over 600 people uh, to be entrepreneurs. We gave out considerable numbers of, of loans. We were responsible for them getting business loans and all those things that during back in the day. Um, is this all money from the community or how does this, how does this so work? We rebuilt the church actually through uh, money that we would get from investors at, 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 at um, you know, high rates. And, um, and we built the housing the same way. And we built an apartment building across the street the same way. We have an apartment building across the street where we have a cafe that is now uh, where young people are, homeless young people uh, uh, are able to uh, be. And we built it all through uh, high interest loans. We couldn't get money from banks because we, you know, we didn't have any partners. We did it on our own. When you were saying predatory lenders, this is where you get your money. Yeah, that's the only place we can get it. It's the only place we're allowed to get money. <laughs> You can't get money from banks. And it's at such a cost. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, we pay twice as much for the money as we would if we got it through the bank. But it's either that or do nothing. It's either that or just admit that we're incapable of doing anything. And I refuse to admit that. And I refuse to, to have other people come in and develop stuff that we want to develop. I refuse to, to have them tell me partnership with me in order to get this done. I refuse to do that. I believe that we can do it ourselves and we do it ourselves. And that basically, to me, that's what's important about it. When it's over and done, we own it from the foundation to the roof. So even though we have to pay twice for the money, twice as much for the money as we would, should pay, that's the price of being poor and being Black in America. I think the bottom line for us is that there are many ways out of our situation. All of them are not good ways. And I think ownership of the process, ownership of the, 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 the work and ownership is the only way out because that's the only way that demonstrates the intellectual and the, the, the physical capacity and, and, and the, and the that dispels the myth of who black people are. Anything that, 
does not do that will get you out, but you're out on the backs of other people and they take you out. And they will always remind you that if it hadn't been for them, you wouldn't have come out. And I think that that is not the way forward. And so the way we have chose, chosen is the way of self, self-sufficiency. And, 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 and I think that that is the only way to go forward. That doesn't mean that you don't need partners. And we do have partners, but that means that the partners are just that. They are people, they are allies, but they don't, they don't, we don't, they don't have to bend our backs so that we can ride them out. And we don't ride out on the backs of others. We stand like men and women and walk out and on our own. And in, in whatever the price is, even though it's high, we pay it because that's the price of freedom. That was Dr. Robert L. Jeffrey, pastor of New Hope Baptist Church located in Seattle Central District.